Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Stories podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Institute for Mountain Research at Westminster College. And our goal here is to build a mountain community, to celebrate the people who live, work, and play in the mountains, and to tell the stories of how those mountains become part of our lives. And tonight, as we ease into winter break here on the Westminster College campus, uh, we're excited to have Ranjana Diga come into the studio office and talk about his own mountain experience. Uh, Ranjan is an English professor here at Westminster, teaches primarily creative writing, and I'll let him go into the details of the rest of his story. I think you're going to find it really interesting. Here's Ranjan. Hi, everyone. My name is Ranjan Adiga. I teach in the English program at Westminster College. I mostly teach creative writing, and my emphasis within creative writing is fiction writing. But I do write um, creative nonfiction um, every now and then. And the piece that I'm going to read out today is an essay that I wrote about my relationship with mountains. Um, so I grew up in Nepal and. Oftentimes, when people find out that I'm from Nepal, you know, one of the first questions they might ask me is, hey, have you seen Mount Everest or have you been to Mount Everest or something or the other related to mountains? And the truth is, I've actually never even been close to or never actually like seen some of those mountains. So my relationship with mountains in Nepal is really interesting. And I think it was about a year ago that I ended up writing a piece about that. It's not a published piece. I, I wrote this piece and I kind of put it on the back burner for some reason, you know, like life gets in the way. And I, I think I forgot about it until Brent asked me about this podcast, um, if I'd be, you know, willing to talk about mountains or whatever for this podcast. I remember this piece and I pulled it out and I, I, I'd like to say that it's work in progress, but it's pretty close to completion and I do hope to get it published soon, maybe next year. That's one of my goals for this piece. And I thought I'd just read this out to you guys. So, It's called A Walk in the Park. I grew up in Nepal, a country of snow-capped Himalay peaks and frothy rivers that cut through deep, rugged canyons. Eight of the 14 Himalay ranges, taller than 8,000 meters, are located in Nepal, a country smaller in landmass than Utah. Sadly, I've never been anywhere near the foot of these mountains. Climbing mountains was unthinkable in the high caste culture that I grew up in. In Nepal, the caste system is a form of social hierarchy based on a person's hereditary rank. You are who you're born into. If you're born into a higher caste, you enjoy all the social and economic privileges that the caste inherits. If you're born lower, you stay there. Although the caste system is banned by the Nepalese constitution and communities have better access for upward mobility these days, centuries of cultural mores don't unhinge in a few decades. So I grew up internalizing the idea that climbing mountains was the job of the Sherpas, 
the lowly porters who make a living by carrying the bags of Western tourists. As a privileged Brahmin, I was shielded from the harsh ruggedness of the mountains. I remember seeing the peaks of Annapurna from the rooftop of my childhood home. When the sun was up, it cast a glow along the contours. At other times, the mountains remained elusive behind the slowly moving clouds, stirring in me a longing that has never been fulfilled. I left Nepal when I was 18. The mountains of my own country remain magical, mysterious. One reason for my move to Utah after graduate school was to reconnect with the mountains. And through this relationship, come to terms with a past that I've left behind. By exploring the Utah mountains, could I at least get a taste of what it might be like to climb in Nepal? So in the summer of 2018, I went on my first hike ever. Although I could have chosen grander and more challenging trails, I picked the living room, a modest hike that can be completed in three hours up and down. Situated close to downtown Salt Lake, living room perhaps gets its name from the flat rocks stacked up like furniture at the peak on which you can sit and gaze over the beautiful valley. You walk alongside wildflowers, sagebrush, gamble oaks, and green grass next to mid-sized boulders. This is a family trail where people walk their dogs or go for a quick run. It encapsulates a practical way of American life, where nature has been tamed for human recreation. Now, mountains have a sacred significance in Native American cultures, but owning a house in the hills of a modern American city has long been associated with prosperity. If you don't have to worry about wildfires and landslides, the smooth roads curling up the hills promise a retreat from the hustle bustle of city life. In Nepal, living in a mud house in the hill signifies a life of precariousness. Just to get home from a grocery shop, you might have to cross a bridge made of stacks of wood tied together with rope. An accidental slip means a life lost into the snarling river. If you survive that, a thick Lali Guraz forest might await you. Getting home every night can be a testament of the human spirit, always humbled before the might of nature deities. Mountains and plants are sacred in Nepal, a country where Hinduism and Buddhism are interwoven into daily cultural practices. Mount Kailash is the home of the Hindu deity Shiva. Buddha himself attained enlightenment by meditating under the shaded protection of a peepal tree. It is still customary for Hindus and Buddhists to tie a red thread around the trunk of the peepal tree for auspiciousness. Plants like neem and tulsi are considered sacred and grown in people's houses for protection. Temples perched on top of hills or prayer flags strung along mountain ridges is a common sight. Climbing mountains in Hinduism implies a religious pilgrimage and carries a legacy of the caste system. High caste travelers are aided by low caste porters, and in a rare case of solidarity, both travelers together face challenges thrown their way by the deities of the natural world. The Sherpas are a porter community 
The first person to climb Mount Everest was Tenzing Norgay Sherpa, along with Edmund, Edmund Hillary. Sherpas are mostly Buddhist and fall outside the caste hierarchy of Hinduism. Buddhist minorities struggle to separate themselves from the dominant Hindu culture, so many Hindus assume Sherpas are a lower caste ethnic group because they make a livelihood by carrying other people's burdens. Even though the mountain tourism industry has provided many Sherpa communities with an economic lifeline, in the eyes of a conservative Hindu, they are minions in the pecking order of social acceptability. Growing up in Nepal as a high caste Hindu, I was not old enough to go on pilgrimages. Shielded as I was from the mountain culture and from rough, rugged Sherpas. My parents were liberal and open-minded, but my place in the world was shaped by the surrounding culture. In between homework, TV, and soccer games, I would occasionally be mystified by the beauty of the Annapurna range, always off-limits. Years of conjuring up romantic ideas off the mountains, their snow-capped peaks and precipitous drops contributed to my fear of the mountains. In Utah, I wanted to take baby steps. On a warm May morning, I started at the crack of dawn on the three-mile hike along the living room trail, self-conscious of my exaggerated gear. A hydration backpack stuffed with a pair of binoculars, an extra pair of hiking boots, protein bars, and even a folded-up trekking pole. A friendly neighbor walking her dog had rolled her eyes. Sure, you don't need an ice axe, she had said. But I wanted the whole experience and every support I could muster in case I was attacked by phobia, a rattlesnake, or who knows, even a yeti. My access to mountains had come from magazines like the National Geographic. President Jimmy Carter has written about a trek to Kalapathar, a range close to Mount Everest. In that article, Carter describes the climb as one of the foolish decisions he's made. The sheets of melting ice had made it a harsh climb, and Carter was so out of breath, he says he really understood the term breathtaking for the first time. Then there is the legend of the Yeti, the abominable snowman, who preys upon evil spirits that pollute the sanctity of the mountains. Reading these stories, I would wonder if I too might climb over miles of rugged wilderness someday, my feet chafing against the skin of my shoes. Perhaps a giant Yeti would slowly follow the trails of my human scent. These stories came back as I trudged up the living room ravine. I smiled at how silly the thought of Yeti was in these modest surroundings. The living room trail isn't steep or treacherous, but it can be hard to navigate because of multiple side trails that branch off into wooden pathways. I kept following the main trail, inhaling the sharp, earthy smell of nature. About a mile in, I lost human contact. The silence was suddenly shocking. Despite loading up on gear, I had decided not to carry my phone, which now seemed like a bad idea, even though I was out of reception. Unable to look past the edge of the trail where the hills took a plunge, I carried on quietly. Soon, a couple in their 20s caught up. How much farther up? I asked. Oh, it's right up there, they said, pointing at the flat rocks at the peak. 
much closer than I thought. I had so intensely focused my gaze on the ground that I hadn't really taken in the view of the rolling hills. I couldn't believe my accomplishment when I reached the top after less than two hours. I didn't want to stand close to the edge, so I chose two slabs of rock arranged like a chair farthest from the ridge line. Looking over the panoramic Salt Lake Valley, I felt a sharp pang of longing. Where are you from? The couple asked me. Nepal, I said. Oh, so this must be super easy. Well, where would I start? A walk in the park, I said after a long pause. Thank you. Thanks, Ron John, for sharing that story. Once again, I'm Brent Olson, one of the directors of the Institute for Mountain Research, where our goal is to connect people to mountains and to help people share stories like this one. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, as we get ready for another snowstorm here on the Wasatch Front, uh, we hope that you have a fantastic winter season and we'll be ready with more stories around the new year. Thanks for listening. And we want to send one last thank you to Pixie and the Party Grass Poise. As Naomi used to say, they're really awesome. You should check them out. Thanks again. Bye. When you call my name, go on and call it out loud. I can see your face in the darkest night in the thickest crowd. You're in my heart, you're in my head, you're in my soul. And when I'm with you, baby, I am home. Yes, I am home.